Okay, welcome everyone to uh, our 45 trillionth episode of Dojo Universe. And by 45 trillion, I think, what are we up to? 41 or something like that? I say that every week, but I think we're actually at 41 now. You know what I mean? Has it really only been 40? I don't know. It seems like a lot more than that. But, but if you think about it, yeah, it's just uh, we're just coming up on uh, on a year that we've been at this. So it's kind of interesting. Um, so a couple of important housekeeping things. Um, I don't know if your Twitter inbox has been spammed as much as mine in regards to the killer bagpipe fungus. That's that's <laughs> basically it's basically an ep epidemic, you know. Um, yeah. At least one guy's been infected. At least one, and countless others may or may not have been infected by the fungus. I think the bottom line is just don't eat what's in your bag. That would be a good advice. Yeah, was he eating seasoning again? <laughs> I hate when that happens. <laughs> it smells appetizing sometimes. Totally. That, and I mean, I guess you should just clean out your blow stick once in a while and... I think you'd be kind of safe. Yeah, I don't know. The instrument has relatively has been relatively unchanged for probably 180 years in its current form. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's why it says on the <laughs> infected you know, the, with uh, some weird fungus. What do you call it? The um, Hardy's airtight seasoning. That's why it says on the bottle not to be taken. <laughs> Probably also, you know, um, you know about inhalation. But uh, anyway, we're just sort of uh, kidding around about this, mainly because I got a lot of emails about this. You know, I was uh, I was pretty scared to go out on the parade grounds this past weekend, knowing that there could be a fungus growing. That's right, and probably parade goers wearing gas masks like they did in China during the SARS epidemic, and it was probably pretty awful. Then Rob Lockwood says, aspergillosis, aspergillosis is no joke. I'm sure it's not. I, I don't mean to. I'm uh, sure it's not, yes. I'm sure there's a lot of nasty things, you know, that, that are out there, um, you know, and in, in all seriousness, I mean, you know, one guy with a already compromised immune system is probably pretty susceptible to a lot of things, not just uh, aspergillosis or however you say it. Yeah, well, I mean, in all seriousness, one of the things that we do, and it's not just, it's partially for hy hygiene re reasons, but it's also for basic bagpipe maintenance reasons, is, uh, you know, we regularly bleach uh, the water traps that we have inside of our bags, um, don't we, Carl? Yeah, I mean, it, if there's anything growing in it, it's going to trap more Both moisture, so that's <laughs> yeah, why you might be I... Surprised. I mean, Oh, yeah. S silicon's supposed to be impervious to certain kinds of growth, but uh, no, not in the bagpipe bag. Yeah, no, not in the bagpipe. <laughs> but, I mean, the bottom line is you got to have a good one-way valve so that you're not getting air blowing back into your mouth um, and keep your blow stick clean, and then you should yeah. be safe. Definitely, and, uh, Definitely, yeah. you know, the other thing, the other thing is that... Uh, Oh yeah, the other interesting thing about this is that I have I have relatively good evidence that says smokers um, actually produce a lot more fungus and nasty stuff inside of their water traps as non-smokers. Yeah, so if you're if you're a smoker, you need to be double careful to keep everything clean and sanitized in there. Um, and uh, why am I hearing an echo? I think it's Carl's mic or earphones or something. Yeah, Carl, your thing's doing it again. <laughs> and you say it doesn't do it, but it definitely does. But it, if he's you like, can All right, figure it out, you can solve it. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. You have a cheap computer. So, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, in, in, in other news, if we're going to, like, go on, you know, you got one guy who's got fungus growing in his bag and he gets sick and, you know, gets and is hospitalized, but... I recently posted up on Facebook an article about a woman in San Francisco who had a lung transplant and is is piping strong this year. So um, 
there's a you know many ways you can go medically with the, with pipes clean or not. So she's somebody who definitely has to worry about hygiene in the bag. I would think um, she's probably susceptible to a lot of things. Bottom line is keep it clean. Excellent. And well, um, seasoning also kills germs for for the record, both the Ganoe and the Hardies. Like if you have a hide bag, um, that is intended to kill germs. So. Mm -hmm. It's food for thought, isn't it? I mean, um, certainly, I think you have to. You definitely want to be careful in general, right? If you have any sort of immune system, you know, risk or anything like that, because bagpiping is an extremely germy type thing. I would say that, in you know, and this is just a wild theory of mine that uh, an actual professional might be able to discount entirely. But um, I, I seem to get sick not very often at all, and I think part of it has to do with just my wide exposure to various, uh, to various, uh, you know, environmental things that has to do with the fact that, yeah, like when, when I run a pipe band, I'm trying people's pipes, I'm touching their blow pipe. I'm sometimes I'm licking reeds and otherwise, you know, touching things that are probably covered with germs. And I, I've often wondered if that has anything to do with, um, why I don't get sick very often. And, uh, you know, <laughs> without question, it's like, but that being said, I mean, you have to, um, especially if you're a bagpipe teacher or a pipe major or something, you know, you, I, you know, at least at this, um, you know, at least uh, in the modern day, we're still at the point where there, a lot of uh, germs do have to float around in order to get the job done. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Anyway. And everybody's had experience of like, you know, playing with guys that have, uh, you know, I don't know, they just seem to breathe germs. <laughs> so, you know, the fungus and the mold and everything else seems to grow a little more rapidly on their uh, their hide than say someone else who's you know playing the same amount or uh, you know or right next to them in the band circle or something so it's just food for thought I guess yeah and uh, I don't know what Carl's laughing at over there but let's segue into um, one of the we sort of got a great little sort of jumping off point last week at the end of our broadcast where I think it was – now I'm going to have to remember his name. Yes, Gary. It was Gary that uh, you know was asking about, all right, do you have any tips or tricks or general um, ideas about transitioning to the bagpipes, right? That's a very important part in a bagpiper's career. I, I sort of – I don't remember a whole lot of the process, although there are some interesting uh, home videos of me – in the early stages of trying to get what I was doing on the practice channel up onto the pipes. And there's also a story that Donald Lindsay tells about me, which is particularly unflattering uh, <laughs> about, you know, I don't really remember it, but. Uh, um, well, you know, the thing is that every, every piper uh, on the planet has been, has been there, right? Everybody's gotten on the pipes yeah. at some point and it's the nature. same for everybody, you know, uh, no matter who you are. So the same issues apply. <laughs> Great. Well, we happen to have an expert here today that can help us uh, talk about some of the issues in regards to transitioning to the pipes, and um, he's extremely happy to be here. His name is Carl Donnelly, and uh, is, he was – I'm making a joke because he was uh, he's complaining that he's not going to be able to secretly do work during today's broadcast. We're going to have to actually – participate in the conversation yeah <laughs> um yeah well a while ago um geez it might have been almost, almost a year now um we taught a uh, or i taught a transitioning to the pipes class uh, i think we did eight weeks or something where uh we kind of we addressed every problem in in the order that you would kind of encounter it so uh, it's a great class. It's in the archive. It's a, it's a great way to review kind of the fundamentals of... I'm going to find the link. Yeah, uh, the fundamentals of, um, of playing in general. I mean, the, the process of going through learning how to make the, the bagpipes work in the very first place, it's the same process we do um, as pipers every day now, uh, or as often as we play. Uh, and... We, we often forget what we had to go through in order to, to learn. And thinking about that process 
uh, really is helpful. Um, and now, now as a teacher, I, I get to help students do the same thing: uh, is learn, learn how to make it work, and what do we have to talk about in order to, uh, to, to, to be able to play the bagpipes instead of just the practice chanter. Uh, and so it gets me thinking a lot about uh, my own technique and and how to how to play uh, more kind of from an abstract point of view than than from a just, okay, here's your bagpipe, go ahead and play. Um, so anyway, that, that's kind of where, where I come from with, with the transitioning to the pipes. Um, Carl, what would you say, like, I mean, what do you think is, it's weird that Echo's definitely there again, but uh, what do you think is the appropriate, I mean, I have my own thoughts on this, but what do you think is the, the appropriate point you need to be at from a fingerwork perspective in order to start transition to the pipes, I mean, different teachers have different ideas about this. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I know with the the last um, five or six students we've had that go through that phase, um, I, I like to to have students that are um, completely comfortable with our tutor. Um, but what that means in real world uh, ling lingo is that you've learned all the basic technique. Um, you're very comfortable navigating the scale. There's there's no um, consistent crossing noises. Um, you've got uh, basic tunes memorized. Um, it's comfortable. It's nothing you have to think about. It's like okay, let's play a little bit. Um, get the practice chanter out. We're playing some fully embellished tunes uh, from memory, and it's comfortable. It's easy. Uh, and I also like all of the students to be comfortable with. Uh, some of the basic scales, arpeggios, um, scale run exercises, some of the stuff from the very beginning um, that we learned in, in our tutor system. That's because when we get on the pipes, we're not going to have any time uh, or mental ability really to think about what we're playing. We're going to be devoting our entire processes to figuring out how to make the, the bag work and continue. Um, so we, we want to be comfortable uh, with our, our, our finger work first uh, before we get there. So uh, the first step that I have students do, and I think most, most instructors do, is just you know, start with a single note. That's how I learned. I think that's how most people start is just, you know, here's the instrument. We've corked off all the drones. Try and keep the chanter uh, going on a single note. Uh, and then if you challenge a student to try and play a scale from that, just a simple scale, usually the result in the first week or so is um, they'll get to C or D and then cut out because they forgot to blow or squeeze. Um, so that's the, that, that's why you kind of have to have it. Yeah, go ahead. It, it's an interesting thing, right? I mean, one of the really, um, one of the really interesting things about bagpiping, and, and we're very cl clear about this, at Dojo U and in the way that we lay it out. But um, I consider the technique and fundamentals in regards to your instrument to be completely different from the technique and fundamentals in regards to your finger work. And I think one of the most difficult things about transitioning to the pipes is, is not actually the physical aspects of it. I mean, you, that's a little bit challenging, but, but the biggest challenge is that you quite literally will uh, have to teach yourself to do two you know, fundamental skill sets at the same time and completely separate for, from each other. So, so right there, what you just said, you know, oh, they get to B or C and then they realize they forgot to blow, right? That's a reflection of the inability to, you know, to do the two things fundamentally at the same time. And it's like, you know, I think that's the biggest thing, isn't it? And we still struggle with that in R and more, right? It's like uh, people are underblowing on the high hand. Well, if, if the person had been taught correctly, and by the way, I think very few people are. Very few people are actually taught diligently you know, to think about the two things as completely separate. I mean, even I have deficiencies in this area. Even the great I have, <laughs> have deficiencies in this area. But um, my, my point would be you know, um, blowing and squeezing and tonal production and bagpipe quality is a completely different fundamental than finger work. Are there exceptions to that uh, general statement? Maybe, but I don't. I don't personally think that's the case. 
So um, anyway, that, just a few comments about that. And that's, you know, that's the th at the end of the day, when you're transitioning to the pipes, remember that that's the end goal. It's not just being able to make a continuous sound. It's being able to make a great, excellent quality of tone, while at the same time, uh, you know, executing your finger work fundamentals flawlessly. So there's two things going on. It's, it's rubbing your tummy and chewing bubble gum at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we, we all kind of start with that, just playing a note, um, and we'll get comfortable um, keeping a note somewhat steady beginning out. Uh, and then we'll challenge ourselves to try and do both at once. And once you're a little more comfortable with the fundamental of, of, of the blowing and squeezing aspect, um, you, you can accomplish the scale. But I, I think that is, I, I totally agree there, Andrew. Um, it, it's important to remember how distinct they and separate they should be. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I agree that the, the hardest part about transitioning is learning to do both at once separately. Um, and, and there's an awful lot of crossover that uh, over time we have to work to eliminate, um, as you suggest there. So that that's interesting. Okay, um, what's next? Any thoughts on using the red pipe, electronic pipes, to aid in the transition to the bag pipes? Yeah, the red pipe. If you can afford such a thing, you know, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> right, but I I don't really know how that helps because while it would get you to hold a bagpipe and play. Um, the, the electronic play with a bag under your arm, it doesn't actually teach you anything about the, the blowing or squeezing um, because you're not putting air, air, air through it. I, I, at least I believe you don't. It's just, the, it's just the kind of sack you put under your arm. So I don't know that that would accomplish anything. Um, a, a lot of people, or some people use, use a goose, a practice channel goose. Um, that has, it, it's basically a bagpipe, but at the same, um, oh cool, so it is pressure adjusted and pressure sensitive to a striking. Um, I, I, guess, I would say though, what, I would say that it's really, yeah, it's really not that applicable uh, to the skills that you're gonna need to produce an excellent tone on the bagpipes. I mean, it, it's, it would be, an, it's kind of like playing, um, um, dance Dance Revolution to learn how to dance or uh, Guitar Hero to learn how to play guitar. Like There are similarities and, um, and it certainly is capable of producing really good music. But as far as you know, uh, learning to play the Great Highland Bagpipe, you really need to, you really need to transition to the Great Highland Bagpipe. Um, you know, uh, again, it's certainly I think the Red Pipe is awesome, but uh, is it going to help us transition to the pipes? Uh, uh, probably about as much as Guitar Hero helps us learn guitar. You know, and, and what's interesting is, yeah, it probably it does help you learn guitar a little bit, right? You get to, you learn how to feel the music, and you can create interesting things and learn the art of unison and so on and so forth. But but really, you know, uh, David Gilmore is going to recommend that you learn how to play guitar on an actual guitar. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think Gary's Gary's uh, comment here is very interesting. That um, you're told a, ma a major contributor to problems that you're having is uh, that you're using a synthetic bag, and I think fundamentally it doesn't matter. Um, the technique that you're going to use uh, of keeping your uh, your bag inflated, keeping your arm on it. We talk a lot about um, in the class blowing your arm off the bag and not just it's time to blow oh there goes my arm it's off the bag you know it's not a big deal um so that that fundamental skill there of keeping um, a little bit of back pressure you're regulating the the bag with your arm um, and always keeping a little bit of constant pressure on there will eliminate most of the difficulties with the, the difference between a high and synthetic bag. Synthetic bags just as a whole um, are, are a little bit more slippery and a little bit more round, balloon-shaped, um, which can make it a little less 
likely to stay under your arm. But again, if you have proper technique there um, with keeping a little bit of pressure on the bag, it won't slip. Um, hey, Carl, the, um, yeah. you're, when you're talking about people transitioning to the pipes now, you're talking about um, you know full sets with cork drones or no drones, and or what, what are you talking about exactly to get people yeah, full, to get used to blowing? Right. Uh, it's a full set with corked off drones. Um, and an easy, very easy, uh, oops, sorry, a very easy chain to read. Um, and, and like I was starting to say earlier, that the practice goose, I think, is a, is a good theory or, or a good way to at least start. Um, it, it's, a, it's a practice channel that you plug into a bag. Um, you could use a set of small pipes if you have the, the mouth blown like the... Sorry, it's all hooked in and starts ringing in one place. Um, it, it's, uh, that might be a, a good thing because that will teach you to, to blow uh, and squeeze and work the finger work. But again, um, I don't think that's going to be any better uh, than getting on the pipes. I agree completely. Yeah. It, it just get a set of pipes, let's go. Um, you know, back back you know back in the day, the goose was like the standard thing, and it still is. Yeah. I think in a lot of places, people you know throw a bag with some cork stocks and, and a channer and say, "Here you go," you know, and try and get. Yep, that's what you I know, it's, at least, Yeah, and that's what I did as well. It's like you know, you get used to blowing and you get used to that whole squeezing thing going on. I mean, it's not a huge difference, I guess, when you throw an actual you know three drones up there. So now you get some extra weight, um, and now you have to. Now you have to worry about other things, right? Stance and how you're holding it and everything else becomes an issue. Um, but, you know, what you're saying is you just take care of that at the beginning. Just throw it all yeah. on there and, and go with it. I mean, you, you've got to learn to to balance the drones on your shoulder, not just let them sit on the bag, which would make it more difficult. Um, you know, if the bag, if the drones are sitting here right against your, your ear and they're, the entire weight of them is sitting down on the bag, that's going to push the bag out from under your arm it's also going to make you more steady it's it's like a, a heavy lever which is going to amplify any um uh, any small fluctuations in pressure so you definitely want to get those drones resting with the majority of their weight on your shoulder so it's it's we talk a lot in the beginning about proper uh, stance and technique you're right then absolutely um that that's that's before we even start blowing into the bag um, you know, here's how to hold them. Here's how to um, put them on their shoulder. The, uh, and and I talk about in my in my class a launch sequence, which is basically going through the steps that we're going to use down the line for um, striking in the bag with with drones to make them work. But getting in that habit right from the beginning. Okay, we've got the bag out in front of us. Slight strike, and then supporting the bag all the way through under the arm, tucking, tucking it under, and then bringing the hand down to the channer. That process gets us in the, the, the hang of um, putting the bag in the right place, getting the drones situated in the right place. Um, and I think that's fine to learn that from, from day one. Um, I mean, I'm a bit biased. I never learned with the goose, but... Uh, Goose is cool. I think, yeah. I think the goose can be good in some scenarios when you have a super small student. Sometimes yeah. the goose yeah. can be good because the drones can, like, like a good posture won't actually be possible with a small enough stature. Like, and I'm talking about too, like, if you're really working them yeah, in, and that's kids. that's an important consideration. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for little kids, that's basically what I'm referring to. But I agree with Carl. I I learned on the goose. If anything, it may have caused you know, problems with posture initially, you know, I think um, I was certainly big enough and that, that's just how people learned it, you know, um, it was on the goose and then, you know, so the sooner you can get on the full instrument feel wise, the sooner you can start to address issues of posture yeah. and ergonomics. Yeah. And I think, I think yeah. Sean uh, mentioned earlier that he mentioned that three to six months before you're ready to like sort of get any kind of decent sound and I don't, I don't think there's any time limit really you know people ask this oh how long does it take you to play the highland bagpipes you know there really is no time limit it's not a race um i think you know, as as you're concentrating on, on the fundamentals it's when you when you get the hang of those things whenever that is it could be three it's interesting you should it's interesting you should mention that then and it's interesting that sean should should have such a you know that you'll have three to six months of absolute pain and frustration before you get it 
Um, I, we, you know, our last few students here, Carl, uh, they've been getting it in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's usually about the first three weeks. It's it's just struggling. It's like keep trying, you know, blow, squeeze. Eventually, it just clicks. Now, now these are younger students for the most part, um, you know, in their in their teens um, or early twenties. So uh, that definitely helps. Having having a young mind, um, I'm sure, makes it easier. And size matters too. Like we 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 talk about kids and stuff, and it, sometimes being a kid is a, is as much a struggle as trying trying to just get used to holding the thing, and you know because their hands are just not big enough, or you know their arms aren't long enough, or something like that. You know, and they they struggle with things before they get big enough to actually be able to just handle it. You know, so that's right. that's something to keep in mind when, you, especially if you're teaching kids and you're throwing pipes on their shoulder. You know. Yeah, we've got a um, we've got a student now who's. Um, playing very well in the practice channel, is getting ready for a set of pipes, but is just generally kind of a, a small kid. Um, so we, we got a three-quarter size LM bag um, for this student. Um, so it's, it's a smaller bag. It's smaller than a small. Um, and that, that'll be good for, for learning. But we're going to start on a set of pipes. Um, and uh, James asks there, how do you know uh, what size bag to use? Um, trust your instructor, <laughs> or, or or call your your favorite uh, company like me, and I I can make recommendations. But for most people, start with a standard. Um, somebody made the bad suggestion to me when I somewhere along the line when I was starting out to use a large bag. I mean, yeah. and I'm I'm a tall guy, but. Oh man, I struggled with that for three when, years. Uh, time was when everybody had a gigantic, you know, Hindenburg blimp under their arm. Yeah. And that was. Oh the yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that was and because so, more there's more air in it, right? You could you could play better bagpipes that way or something. I don't right. know. So I mean, that was that was such a struggle because the it, the larger bag doesn't make you learn the proper fundamentals of being able to uh, squeeze the bag. In, in an accurate way and support the bag with your arm. If it's too big, it's just kind of like you can blow air in it and the pipes kind of keep going and you don't have to do a lot with your arm. And I don't know, that, that was not a great suggestion for my own playing. And it took literally years uh, until I um, sorted that out. I think I have an interesting uh, tidbit here. You know, it, it, uh, a little bit earlier, Sean was mentioning, hey, Carl, can you mute for a second? Yeah. I'm hearing two versions of myself, which normally I don't mind, but um, all right. So um, Sean says, practice goose is good because it lets you get used to the different hand position uh, when you're playing as opposed to the practice chanter. Now, first of all, I, I think your hand position should be the same in both your practice chanter and your bagpipes conceptually. Now... If your bagpipes change your hand position, there's a pretty good chance that you don't have the right size pipe bag. Okay, so my secret magical advice to people who are trying to figure out what size pipe bag they need, you should, um, you should hopefully, you know, if possible, go to band practice and try their various sets of pipes and see how they feel for you. Um, because, and, and, you know, uh, see what sizes might work for you. And the test of size is a good, comfortable posture and unchanged hand position, right? If the bag is too big, you can end, your hand can end up sort of not being able to reach and there's a lot of pressure on your forearm. If the bag is too small, you can end up with your wrists bent in order to try to get the right hand position on the, on the chanter. So the right bagpipe size is when you can get a nice, comfortable posture, which Carl teaches in our class at Dojo U, um, you know, how to get the right posture. And then at the same time, having a free and natural um, hand position uh, that's not hindered in any way by the size of the bag. Um, so anyway, Carl, maybe you can elaborate, but that, those are my thoughts. No, that's an excellent way to, to, to put it, Andrew. And I, I don't know if I've ever really thought about it that, in that, that method. That's great. Um, and, most, uh, most people haven't. Totally it's, it's my gift, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's that's so true, though. Um, you know, I, I, I've thought about that in, in many other ways, uh, but that's a great way to clearly, succinctly state that. That's great. Um, yeah, you got to be able to have a comfortable bag that doesn't um, take away from um, your ability to play. Uh, as you said, with the bent wrists, that makes it hard to play. With too much pressure on uh, on the forearm, um, that's going to tighten your top hand right up and, and make it hard to execute um, basic techniques. And that's an important steps. thing to consider, too, because you're gonna, tension is going to be an issue when you first start doing this, right? You know, you're going to be tense. You're going to be sort of uncomfortable for a while. And, you know, it, it's, so you've got other things to worry about. At least, you know, if you can get those things out of the way where you've got a right, right. good size bag, everything's comfortable, you got a good stance, you can focus on sort of releasing the tension that you're going to feel trying to just get sounds. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm just reading the, the John's comment here that uh, the hands are lower, I guess, on your body is what you're saying. You're used to playing here and they're kind of lower. Um, yeah, I, I don't Again, know. Again, I'm that not that sure how much I agree with that. I mean, yeah, um, I don't know that it makes much of a difference. If the hands are considerably lower than they would be when you're playing a practice chanter, now granted, they they might be a little bit further in front of you, but um, but I think that's an interesting point. You know, hands that are too low, um, that's bad posture, right? I mean, I mean, you're not a bad person, but that's a posture issue. You know, if you're, <laughs> and um, you know, I'm, I don't want to be, I'm not trying to pigeonhole anyone here, but I'm saying. If the hands are too low down, right, it means either the bag size is wrong or your posture needs work. If the hands are too low, you know uh, what I find is 75% of the time. the blow stick is too long. Blow stick too long all the way. The blow stick is too long, and so the nose of your bagpipe rocket airplane machine is tilted downwards, right, and, and your, your hands are too low. So, again, it's all about bagpipe setup good posture, and, and we want to keep the hand position as much the same as possible, and sort of that, uh, you know, uh, the, your arms should be totally perpendicular to your body. They shouldn't be pointing down towards the ground, right? And just like they would be when you are playing the practice chanter. I guess the only difference would be that technically your chanter would be out maybe a foot further from your body or six inches to a foot further. But, uh, w you know, we want that, that natural bagpipe posture. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is nominally a little bit lower um, that you're playing. Though with a long practice chanter, it's not that far. Um, and, and we definitely do recommend getting a practice chanter from the very get-go that has the right hole spacing. Um, most of the long chanters now uh, match the most hole the spacing. And most of the short ones, though not all of them. Um, most of them match the hole spacing because if you have a chant a practice chanter that the b and the low a holes are are closer like this you can see i'm sort of missing the holes um it makes it that much harder it's one more thing to struggle it's like oh i have to reach and if you learn naturally that way um it, it's much better but i i want to touch on a point that vin brought up here was the tension one of the things we talk about in the class is how um when we're learning we've got to remember to stop the tension at our elbow. Um, our elbow, this kind of, this bony part right here on the inside of your elbow, um, I focus on digging that bony part into the bag when I'm blowing. Um, and I kind of have a pivot there, right? I'm trying to see if you can see this, where my arm moves, it's kind of in a weird uh, method. You should definitely try this um, without a pipe bag. Your, your wrist, and it kind of pivots around around the channel so that my fingers and my wrist aren't really moving. It's just this section here that's coming in. Um, and, and like I said, I'm digging that bony part into the bag. And this is where the tension um, and, and uh, the, the muscle strength and the, the strain is going to come from. That's where I'm pushing. It's these muscles that I'm using. The stress should not be here you should be able to play and push on this, and this should not be um, tense. If it's tense, it's gonna push down on all your tendons and make it harder for you move, to move your fingers. So you should start with that for sure, right from the beginning. This is where we're, we're, where we're using our muscles. This is where we're relaxed. Any, anything from the elbow on, just cut it off. It should be nice and relaxed, so. It sounds, um, Carl, like, like, you know, you, you, you're talking a lot about 
posture and stance and, and intention and things like that. I mean, what's one of, one of the reasons why you want to do that, I think, is, is, is you want to sort of cement that muscle memory. You know, if you're really transitioning instead of struggling all the time and winging it, as a lot of people tend to do on anything, really, uh, you want to make sure you're, you're establishing that position and that posture from the beginning so your body knows how to do it right. You know, and if, so next time you strike up, it becomes a, a sort of a, a, an established habit for your body to move the right muscles, flex the right parts, and, and it's, it becomes that much easier. And that's how you're going to know um, things have, have really caught on, I think. And then you start worrying Absolutely. about playing and finger work and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the idea behind the launch sequence. Get into the habit that you're going to be using right from the get-go. I mean, how much harder is it to relearn something than it is to spend the time to learn it the first time the correct way, right? Uh, it's hard to break habits, and it's really hard to break muscle memory habits. It is. It's so hard. So the, the more that you can start doing it right from the beginning, um, the, the better. I, I totally agree there, Vin. I'm just reading some of the comments here. Yeah, that, yeah. And that posture is going to be different for everybody too. I mean, it's, I think it's just you know, I think if you're paying attention to it though, um, you know, it becomes you know, the road to that sort of mastery is going to be you know smoother and and quicker, only because everybody's body's different and everybody's going to have a more a different comfortable position, whether that's, you know, an aligned elbow with the, with a straight wrist or, you know, the channers vertical to the, you know, to your bent arm or something, whatever that is, um, it's going to be slightly different for everybody. Um, right. But it's, you know, so it's important and, and to there are, for yourself. There, there, as we've been talking about so far, there's lots of, of, of symptoms of, of wrong setup, wrong blowpipe size, wrong pipe size. Uh, and one of those is we're talking about the vertical channer. Yeah, it should be fairly vertical. Um, if there's a little bit of a cant one way or the other, that's okay. Um, nothing serious, though. You don't want to be playing with a channer out in front of you like this. That would be bad, and it means that there's something else wrong. Same thing with um, tilt forward or backwards. You don't want to be playing this way. You don't want to be playing with the, the channer stuck into your, uh, into your belly. Um, for one, that can distort the sound. For two, it's just it means that something's wrong. Um, and usually... Are you trying to tell me that my sporin is not a chanter rest? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It, it just shouldn't Dang. be. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, you find your bottom hand squeezing the chanter harder uh, than what I do with the practice chanter. So your bottom hand is not your bag arm, um, usually speaking. Uh, if it's harder, that that's just that that's hard to correct. It's just something that you're going to have to think about loosening up. A good a, a good way to practice that is take your thumb off, um, and theoretically you can play without your thumb. Um, and uh, if you can do that, well then you can put it back on very slowly and, and get used to a very light grip. Um, you, you don't need your thumb there. Um, the other thing to mention, I guess, a good thing to talk about a little bit is you don't want to do huge floppy hand movements at this point because it's going to be uh, unseating your channer and it's going to promote things like a harder grip so that you don't lose uh, lose your channer. It should always be very. We talk about this with the pipes uh, transitioning too. Is you got to have you got to have loose finger work. Um, it can't be super tight because that's just going to inhibit it and it's also going to be um, you know, that's another symptom, if you will, of, of, of either bad technique or posture. Um, so we, we talk about that a fair bit as well in, in the transitioning um, class. But yeah, that's a great thing to try. Take the thumb off and see if you can still play. Try it with the practice channel too. Um, with the practice channel, it's a little bit easier because you can rest it on a, you know, on a surface and then just play without it. You can't really see this, but... Um, you can rest that on a knee and just play without your thumb. Um, I think that's a great way to to learn about the amount of pressure that you should be putting uh, downward pressure on the channer. It's so light. It's just as if they're resting on the channer. Um, anyway, I think we're a little off topic. Do, but. 
there's also yeah we're a little off topic but there's also now i think and i'm going to try to give credit to mike cusack on this one because i think that's what someone told me he does or did with students is you can also tape up the high a hole with a piece of tape and it makes things sound a little bit funny but you can play with no thumbs at all and it's a great way to uh to get an idea for just how much you're relying on the tension of playing see if i can do this i I, last time I checked, I couldn't really. So no, no thumbs. <laughs> it's like really hard. And um, but uh, what's interesting about it is, you know, um, it really, it, you know, it really makes you focus on, you know, grip how grip, you know, a little bit of grip obviously you need, but too much grip, right? And you can really see how much you're relying on that muscle. You know, um, so. Rob, I've never really held an overripe banana, so I really don't know <laughs> what, what that would feel like. That is probably the most amazing thing I've heard all week. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're probably muted. work. You're muted. I'm, you know, I'm going to sit my banana out on the windowsill and wait a while and see if I can make see if I, see if I can practice that okay Rob we're not we're not able to discuss what you just typed on the air I uh, <laughs> <laughs> I prefer to overwrite banana yeah Jeez. I've um, I've used the reference of glass you know if it was really thin glass or crystal um, think about that you want to put your fingers through a, a crystal channel you'll end up bloody right so that, that's a good way to to think about it as well. Any of those techniques that help you put just enough and not too much um, pressure are really good. Yeah, um, you should, yeah. Anyway, we should move yeah. on from this topic. <laughs> I don't know. Um, what what else do we want to talk about about transitioning? Well, do people have how about, questions? How about this? Yeah, maybe we should ask questions, but I mean, once you've got all that stuff down, you've got your posture going and you've got good stance, you're used to sort of using your arm and not your wrists and all that kind of stuff. Um, how do you know? What do you start putting on drones and playing tunes? Or what, what do you? What do you? What's the next steps? Yeah, the next step is once you're really comfortable with the instrument the itself, um, is that we we will start learning not learning but kind of reviewing um, basic tunes. So the the in terms of the finger work, after we're comfortable with the the instrument, the way that I do it is we start with scales and single notes. Once that's comfortable, we're going to move to something like arpeggios. Just simple stuff, maybe with some G-grace notes. After that, we're going to um, uh, some of the uh, our, our chapter three, which has uh, basic grace notes, G uh, and D-grace notes, simple melodies, um, some basic uh, pipe tunes with just so, uh, so baby easy steps technique. Is yeah, baby steps, about. and then and then. Um, on to fully embellished tunes. Uh, you know, this is the, over the course of, uh, of several months. Uh, and, and once you're comfortable playing um, all the proper fingerwork technique on a bagpipe that's being blown correctly with the proper technique, um, then we're going to uh, uncork a drone. Because the first thing that happens when you uncork a drone is it's harder to play, which is going to strain... Um, the system that we've developed already. It's like, oh, I have to blow harder, more often, there's more air. And so our our first tendency there is to just go for that tighten up, I can do it, make it work, and it's kind of hard. Um, but the interesting thing is, and this is definitely true with a lot of our recent students, is the more diligent you are about really forcing yourself to be good at the blowing technique from the very beginning, the less of a big deal getting a new drone is. It's kind of like, mm, okay, let's go. Uh, pop it on. And then once... We, I, I definitely spend the most time with one drone on, just one of the tenors. Um, and, and once you're comfortable there, um, put on a bass drone. Um, and then that that step could last anywhere from uh, you know a few months to several years. Um, the second drone... Uh, isn't so necessary, um, especially when you're playing in a in a, in a band. Um, Does this look right, Carl? Let's see. Set up your pipes properly. Single steady notes. Yeah. Uh, scale and exercises slowly. 
Uh, yeah, simple tunes, flowing steady. And then, yeah, uh, tenor one, then the bass, and then tenor two. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a great uh, kind of basic outline of, of how to um, how to progress through all the steps. I think it's a good system, and it's working well with, with our students. So, um, yeah, and, and you know, and today there's it's you know there's it's never been a better time to, to be a, pipe, a beginning piper because yeah. everything is set up for you if you want it to be. You know, once upon a time, you know, blow sticks came in one length. <laughs> <laughs> you know, reeds came in one strength. You know, and that was yeah. you know that was it. You know, you you had to deal with that whatever was given to you. Um, you know, if you're you're, yeah. a, if you're small in stature, you can get a shorter blow stick. You can get a smaller bag. You can get easier reeds. Um, there's all kinds of things that you should explore. I think you know when you're starting this out to make it as make all of these steps that you know that, that are coming up onto the screen um, as you know as smooth as possible. Yeah, step 4.5. Before you get a new drone reed, um, we're definitely stepping up in the pipe channer strength. Um, you know, from the very get-go, it's going to be this really, really easy, paper-easy um, drone uh, channel read. You get the method. And, I mean, I usually go through about a, about um, a, a three or four read strengths. Um, and what I do is we, we keep kind of a box here at the dojo that's got, that we call it our dead reed depository. And when we're done with the reed, we throw it in there. Um, it might be chipped, it might be cracked, it might be just kind of dead, um, overplayed. Uh, and I take those reeds, either sand them down, whittle them down, um, and make them super, super easy. And then they get several of these reeds um, that they're useless to us anymore. So we just kind of give them a reed, get it going, and then, um, but yeah, they you definitely want to work on a an easy medium strength read before you get a drone um you're you're always working on building up that strength too so that's another thing another dynamic that you're that's changing across all of these steps as well um looks like gary had to go thanks gary for the great topic yeah it's fun um there definitely check out the classes class in the archive it's a it's a good series, so. Cool. Um, a lot of things to be thinking about, man. Yeah. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take up the flute. <laughs> there, I fixed it. It should be a lot of drone reads won't work well with Granny's practice read. There we go. <laughs> there <you> go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't ever remember saying that for the record, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you definitely. You definitely need a, a kind of easy, medium strength, not snot nose, easy um, read for the drone reads to, to kind of work. So yeah, um, and, and you know, and I'm just you know, just I was I was sort of alluding to the fact that you shouldn't get discouraged. You know, if any one of these steps becomes you know time consuming and difficult, you know, it's it's enough to make yeah. you frustrated, but you should soldier on. You know. Yeah, Sean Campbell says reads that are easy can be destroyed by a beginner in an hour with overblowing the moisture. If they're overblowing the reed, um, that means the reed's too easy. Get them a harder reed. Um, you know, right from the beginning, you should be working to get more comfortable with, with a, a reed, but uh, don't go too far. In other words, you have to learn control as well. Um, you gotta learn to, to stop at the upper limit of a reed. Um, both skills are, are equally important um making sure that you can blow a hard enough reed but also that you're learning the control to not overblow the reed um so it, I, I usually focus more on that on on here on step five once you've got the tenor reed on um what i'll do is if, if the student is is uh showing any tendencies towards overblowing um one we're working with a manometer um pretty much from the get-go throughout all of this um but two I'll calibrate the drone reed um, extremely close to the um, top end of the reed so that when it uh, when they overblow, it pops off. And so it's a very simple way of saying, try it again. You know, don't let that reed pop off. Um, so that's a good uh, a good thing as well. Yeah. Um, 
any any last minute questions? I think that's a really great jumping off point, uh, kind of a, a series overview of, of that class that I taught. Um, uh, Henry, that is a great question. What is overblowing? Um, that would be when the chanter starts to make unpredictable, nasty sounding noises, uh, especially if you're playing a, a grace notes on low hand notes. Like uh, if you play G grace notes on low G and steadily increase the pressure, eventually it's going to start chirping, 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 and then make really nasty noises. Um, right. Overblowing. So try that. Overblowing means that you're blowing. Uh, harder than the sweet spot on your chanter read dictates. And if you're wondering what the sweet spot on your chanter read is... There's a class for that, isn't there? Yes, it's locked up in the Fort Knox, that is, Dojo University. Yes. Um, and thoughts about pr practice uh, plastic chanter reads. Stick with cane. They're better, they're easier. There, There's lots of people that are making these these plastic reads now. And some of them might be good. Uh, the fewer things that you're experimenting with or trying one, with, we'll let you know. yeah, I mean, the fewer things you, you, you're trying to make work as a beginner um, without any experience, the better. So stick with something that's tried, true, and tested. Um, Kathy says, same. do you have a set of pipes that you could model the correct po uh, posture and hand position with? The answer is yes. You can see it at that link. Yeah, you talk a lot about it there. Um. <laughs> I think that's good. I, I don't think we should give away the farm too much. Um, you know, um, I think a little, and with a little free Dojo University membership, you know, you can get it for two weeks free right here, right now. Uh, you can watch that class and get everything that you need. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. I think it was a kind of fun class and, and lots of great information. And even if you are a very experienced piper um, or, or think you know everything about blowing, go back. You might learn something. Um, you know, it, just thinking about the process will make you a better piper. So, yeah, my personal philosophy is um, if you think you have perfected a bagpipe fundamental, that means you have not learned that fundamental properly. Yeah. It's kind of always an open-ended shooting for the moon kind of target, I guess. Yeah, the definition of a good fundamental is that it can always be improved upon. Yeah. Um, hey, before we go, um, don't forget, Orin Moore Spring Training is the April 5th, 6th, and 7th weekend. And, uh, you know, the whole Orin Moore Pipe Band is going to be there teaching a workshop. It's going to be tons and tons of hands-on time, and it'd be great to meet some folks uh, and get yeah. to know them a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, definitely be signing up for that. We, we want to get as many people out to that as we can to, you know, just continue doing what we're doing. Um, it's in beautiful Saratoga, New York. Um, so you can go, um, if you go to orinmorepipeband.com, you can sign up. Bill says it's too cold up there. Well... We usually are blessed with great weather that weekend, so. Um. Cool. Well, thanks so much for tuning in, guys, and hopefully we will see you at the Orin More Indoor. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, the other thing, April 2nd, John Bottomley's teaching a new class about, uh, you know, the world of solo competing and how to get involved with that. So um, that's coming up soon as well on April 2nd. So stay tuned to your emails and stuff like that. And otherwise, we'll see you guys next week. All right. Have a good day. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. Doug says we should do these shows at a time that's good for West Coast guys. Just tell your boss you're going to be late to work. It'll be all right. Carl tells me that all the time. Um. Yeah, time zones are 